Hello, and welcome to Affirmative Action. I'm your host, Antoinette Grajeda. When you were a little kid, do you remember thinking about what you wanted to be when you grew up? Did you dream of being an actor or perhaps a doctor? Maybe you wanted to be a teacher or a lawyer. Honestly, you've probably changed your mind a lot and that's okay. You don't need to have your career all picked out by the age of six or seven. Hopefully, some supportive adults told you you could be whatever you wanted to be. Unfortunately, dreams can be limited when you don't have the right paperwork. That has been the reality for many dreamers and DACA recipients in the United States. A quick recap, DACA or the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Program provides undocumented individuals who are brought to the country as children the ability to live and work in the country legally if they meet certain criteria. Former President Barack Obama launched DACA in 2012, and the program has been met with legal challenges over the years. Most recently, a federal judge in Texas ruled the program is unlawful, but President Joe Biden said the Department of Justice will appeal the decision. For now, current DACA recipients may continue to renew their status every two years, but new applicants are not being accepted. Nearly 4,500 DACA recipients lived in Arkansas as of March 2020, according to data from U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services. In recent years, lawmakers have been carving out more educational and professional opportunities for these Arkansans. In 2019, legislators approved a law that allows public colleges and universities to offer in-state tuition to DACA recipients. This helped make higher education more affordable, but some students learned they could not pursue certain professions after school because they were not allowed to earn professional licensure because of their immigration status. To address this, in 2019, lawmakers passed legislation allowing DACA recipients to earn their nursing license. In 2021, they passed two more laws. One permits DACA recipients to earn a teaching license, the second authorizes occupational or professional licensure. Today's guests are DACA recipients who are now able to pursue their careers because of these laws. Jennifer Carmona Garcia is a junior at the University of Arkansas at Little Rock who wants to become a teacher. Carla Palma is studying nursing at the University of Arkansas at Fort Smith. Thank you both so much for joining us. To get started today, I'd love to know just a little bit about your time here in Arkansas. What has it been like growing up for you here in the state. Carla, do you want to go first? Yes. So I came to Arkansas when I was four years old. So Arkansas is the only place that I've called home. Um, so I was, you know, raised on loving the hogs and boo pig Um, even though they always break our hearts. Um, and I've, you know, done school and I really love it. It's not a big state, you know, like others it doesn't have a lot of like you know, Texas fun or California fun, but I really like my city and where I live because I feel like it's just right. And I feel like most of the people are really just welcoming. Um, and I love it because it's the only place I've ever called home. So I, I love the state. How about you, Jennifer? So I'm uh, originally from Guanajuato, Mexico, and I also moved here when I was four. And uh, growing up, it was a little bit difficult just because, uh, uh, I was learning English as my sisters were too. So we were all kind of like just on the same boat of we're trying to figure it out. We don't know, but we'll get there. And so uh, eventually we, of course, started learning English, but uh, it was still a bit difficult, but we just we just kept on pushing. And uh, so far, um, 
it, it's been really great. I really enjoy being here. And like Carla, this is the only place that I've called home. So a part of that growing up, I suspect, was learning that you were undocumented, right? What Do you remember the first time that you heard that word or when you learned what it meant or what that would mean for you? I guess for me, I didn't really understand it until I was like fifth or sixth grade, but I just remember my parents pushing me like really hard in school and telling me that I was going to have to work harder, but I never truly understood what that meant until I realized, you know, if I want to pursue a higher education scholarships, you have to have some sort of legal status to obtain, you know, scholarships. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to get a driver's license or work. So I think that's when it really hit me that like, what am I going to do with my life? So I know other kids like weren't stressing about what's next, but I remember my senior year of high school, it was like really overwhelming because kids were like looking forward to like whole college and parties and things like that. And I was like, this is my last year of free school. Like it was before we had in-state tuition. So I was really worried about what the cost was going to be. And if my parents were going to be able to afford it, if I was going to be able, you know, to work and study at the same time. So it was kind of really overwhelming. And looking back, I, I should have like let that stress go. Like if I could tell myself, um, my, my senior year self, I would have been like, just enjoy your senior year. But I feel like I was really stressed about what was next because it was just so much unknown. Um, and at that time we still had the last administration. So it was kind of really overwhelming because you didn't know, even though I have DACA, I'd never felt like I was actually safe because I didn't know what was going to be done if he was going, if he was going to go like on a tangent. And I feel like every time something went wrong, he like attacked immigrants. So it was really just a time of uncertainty. Um, and now looking back, I really wish I could have like told myself, Hey, you know, it's going to be okay. Uh, but it's, it's really overwhelming growing up undocumented. And then, especially if you want to pursue a higher education, you don't know if that's something like you're going to be able to obtain, but like to any listeners who are also undocumented. Um, and now that the DACA applications got denied first time applications, I just want you to know that it's going to be okay. Like just enjoy what you have of school. And if you really want to pursue something, you definitely can. Um, nothing is too big. So if you can dream it, you can do it and like really just keep pushing because doors will always open um, in the end. So uh, for me, I always knew that I was undocumented, especially because my parents were always trying to be more cautious in everything that we did. Like I wasn't even allowed to go over to uh, to my friend's house for sleepovers. And that of course could be because we're Hispanic and Hispanic parents are like, no, you have a house here, you know? But uh, I'm guessing that was just because, because of the what ifs. What if something happens? What if you go missing or anything like that? We don't speak English, we can't contact the police and then they'll start asking questions like, you know, maybe about uh, our documentation and stuff like that. Um, it definitely started hitting me a lot more when my sister applied for uh, was uh, in her senior year applying for college. Um, she was uh, she is super smart and uh, she always worked really hard. She barely had any friends and she graduated with uh, 4.25 from high school. And uh, she was like one of the ones uh, top of her class. And 
when she started applying for college, it was really hard for her to get scholarships. And that's when, of course, when DACA was becoming a thing. And so I just remember her struggling so much and even crying all the time. Like um, she yelled at one of her teachers. She's like, you told me you could help me. Like you said that there was ways to do it and I've been working so hard and this is what I want to do. Uh, this is why my parents came here to begin with. And so just seeing that, I, I always had it in my mind, like, I'm not going to college. Why am I even stressing if it's so hard for her? And she's so smart. And um, it, it was very difficult. And then my senior year, uh, I even found a scholarship for undocumented students uh, because it was so hard to, to find any. And then when I went on the website, it said, oh, it looks like you crossed the border uh, into a unexistent website. And then the button, the home button said, take me home now. And so I cried. I was so disappointed. It was so hard for me because I, uh, I was like, okay, if my sister can do it, I can do it too. So when I got to that point, I felt like, like it wasn't even worth it. Like, why am I even going to try? And then also during my senior year, that's when um, the president at the time said that, that DACA was going to be removed. And I just remember walking to my class, like the whole day I was just out of it because I knew that that was the day that they were gonna give the decision. And then I got a text while, uh, from my sister saying, hey, they, they're removing DACA. And I just broke down crying in the hallway. I was just crying all the way to class. And uh, I, I just didn't know what to do. I was terrified because I was in the AVID program, which is a college readiness program. And so uh, within that program, I have the same classes since middle school with pretty much a whole bunch of the same people. So I grew um, very attached to them and thinking like, okay, I have like three to four months left on my DACA and I'm not even gonna be able to graduate with them. Like I at least want to graduate high school here so that I can say that I went back to my country with having to, um, I did something, you know, like I at least graduated high school and then we'll see what happens from there. So it, it was very terrifying, always living with the what ifs what if this happens? What if we get pulled over? What if they separate our families and stuff like that? So what changed to where you decided that all of that emotion, that emotional weight and the extra work of trying to get into school was worth it? What changed your mind? The point that that happened was uh, after I, I heard that the, the DACA was going to be removed, I, um, with the help of my teacher and some of my classmates from AVID, we put together a uh, a rally. And the whole time while I was making the signs by myself in my room, I was just crying the whole time, like just scared, terrified of what would happen if what if somebody drives by and like hurts somebody. But the the outcome of the amount of students that came, it was over 200 students or more. And, and seeing that support and seeing like, okay, someone cares, like they're coming out here to support me and support students like myself. And maybe there's more DACA students here, but they're too afraid to speak up, but you know, we have to do something. And so um, even the principal took notice of me and she uh, helped me out with my first scholarship. And so I was like, okay, well, things can be possible if I go out there and do something, you know, um, if this many people care, sure enough, there's a lot more that care and we'll get things done. So that that was kind of like a, a, a when the switch turned in my head where I'm like, okay, I have to do this, you know. And Carlin, did you experience something similar? I was um, 
doing a program over at Youthus called WOTC. So my senior year, I was going uh, mornings to uh, the university and I was doing some CNA classes and getting that college credit. And then I would go over in the afternoon back to high school. And I was supposed to test for my CNA certification at the end of, of the program. Um, and I got a call letting me know that I wasn't going to be able to test because of uh, my legal status. So that was like another rock thrown at me, like, oh my gosh, you know, I was worried about tuition. I was worried about scholarships. And then finding out at that time, I wasn't keeping up with my state politics. I was just more, you know, federal level, what's going on in DC. Um, and I didn't know that they had passed this law that wouldn't allow me to get a nursing license. So I think that was just a curveball that completely changed. Like, so what am I going to do now? Like, I can't go to school here. If I go to school here, I won't be able to get my license. So like, what's the point? So I think that day I just cried because I'm just like, okay, what's going to be like at that point, I was like on my plan D, like what's going to be my plan D. Um, and I had an aunt who lives in Oklahoma who started helping me do some research. And she was like, you can come here and you can go to uh, community college here. They offer in-state tuition for you. You'll be able to test. So I was like, okay, that's going to be you know, my best bet. And I was like, I know a lot of people go and they go to college and everything is fine. But I guess just being Hispanic and growing up with such a tight, close, you know, bond with your family, um, even though I was going to go stay with the aunt who is also family, um, I did a semester there and it was kind of just, I felt really homesick a lot. And then I came home because I had to get knee surgery during my um, winter break. And after that, I didn't go back. I applied to another community college in Oklahoma uh, that was a shorter drive to where I was commuting back and forth. But then whenever um, the in-state tuition and the DACA nurses law passed into effect, I transferred back home uh, and I've been going there ever since. So I think my lesson to me is just never giving up and you know, just keep trying and doors will open up. And I'm just really happy that I've had that support from friends and family and teachers who have always kept me, you know, on the right path and pushing me to continue. Uh, because I, even though there was a lot of, you know, rocks thrown, I knew that I had to get a higher education um, and get a, a bachelor's and, and pursue a, a, a career in higher ed, just because my parents sacrificed so much, like I couldn't just let all their sacrifices and everything that they've done go to waste. Like I just knew that that wasn't an option, whatever I had to do, like I was going to do. But yeah, the, the college journey has definitely been <laughs> difficult. Yeah. DACA was first established by President Obama in 2012. And over the past almost decade at this point, it does seem like there has been um, barrier after barrier after barrier. So with regard to this first, you know, with DACA, you are given, you know, legal status and you're allowed to work. You renew it every two years. The first barrier is the financials because you have to pay 500 bucks or more to, to redo the paperwork every two years. And then, you know, the big thing I always hear is about wanting to go to college. And then you have the issue of like first getting to be allowed in and then the tuition. So in Arkansas, I think it was 2019, correct me if I'm wrong, that a law was passed so um, you could get in-state tuition. But then 
come to find out in some of these areas, like both of you with nursing and teaching, you have to have professional, uh, a professional license. And that was a whole other law that you had to uh, update basically to be allowed to do that. And Carla, I know you were quite a bit uh, involved with that particular one in 2019 that was specific to nursing. Can you tell me a little bit about your advocacy there and what that process looked like? Because if I remember correctly, you were kind of one of the people that was having to like talk and, and share your story and, you know, basically convince these lawmakers to change this law. Yes, that's how I got introduced to Arkansas United. I heard that they were doing this in-state tuition and nursing um, advocacy to change these laws. And I was like, I, this is like my chance to come back home and study and actually uh, get a license where I want to work. And I kind of came in towards the end. Um, so I don't want to take all the credit for that. <laughs> but uh, it was really like nerve wracking because you have to talk in front of these people who you know were like very conservative and had different opinions. And like, regardless of what you said, like some of them like just really mean. I remember sitting in the committee room and I was just like so afraid. And the people who were going before me, I was just like, oh my goodness, like, and I'm really emotional. So I was just like, I'm gonna have to hold it together. Like, I can't cry. Then I was like, I don't wanna read it off my phone because I was just like, maybe that's like, not professionals like so I was trying to memorize it and like I remember uh, so I live in Fort Smith and I was driving down to Little Rock with my dad and he was like trying to talk to me I was like don't talk to me I'm trying to memorize this <laughs> and I was like trying to memorize what I was gonna say and I was I remember um Rosa telling me like you can say what you want to say but I was like I don't want to overshare because like what if I overshare and it's like and they want to like target me or my family so it was just like so hard even to say like to think about what I was going to say at that moment uh, but I was really happy that that it passed and to see so much um, health people in the in the health industry there was like a lot of doctors I know children's hospital was there in support and there was just so many people uh, rallying behind that um, and I'm really glad that that passed because right now we're in a pandemic like we need all the nurses uh, that we can get like I know at the end of September there's going to be a lot of them who will be without a job because they don't want to get vaccinated um so it's like even now we need all the nurses and the help that we can get so I'm really happy that Arkansas took that step and decided to pass that law because it really will bring so much needed help uh, that we need deeply and then two years later uh, Jennifer, you found yourself in a similar situation with uh, in 2021 with the legislative session. Um, a new law was brought forward specifically for licensing teachers, and you also had to give testimony. So can you tell me a little bit about how you became involved with sharing your story in committee that way? Yes. So uh, growing up, I, I was always a teacher's pet, and uh, I used to say, oh, I want to be an art teacher. And then I was like, well, maybe I want to work in early childhood, uh, early childhood education. And then I sat down and thought about it. I'm like, do I really want to work with little kids every day? <laughs> and so I kind of started exploring my options. And then I'm like, okay, I know for sure I want to be a teacher. That's the thing. I don't know in what yet. I still don't know, but that's the goal. And so I started looking into it and my sister was like, well, you know, you, you can't. I'm like, what do you mean I can't? She's like, well, you're a DACA student, so you can't get your teaching license. And so 
I felt very discouraged. Uh, that's the reason why I'm taking Spanish as a major, because I was doing it as a what if, in case if I can't get my teaching license anytime soon, I still have my Spanish major so I can work as an interpreter at hospitals or, or anything like that. Um, but that's not something that I wanted to do. I'm like, I'm still going to be helping uh, my community by doing this, but I really want to teach. And so I was really just going to sit there and, and hope for something to happen. But then uh, I had several people one day send me uh, the Arkansas United flyer that said that they were working towards uh, making the teacher's li uh, teaching license possible. And so I I became so overwhelmed and I'm like, it's, it's finally happening. I mean, my voice is even shaking right now, but I'm like, it's finally happening. Like, oh my gosh, it might be possible, you know? And so I joined one of their meetings and even then I was like, thank you so much for doing this. Like, I don't even know where to start. The fact that you guys are taking it upon yourselves to, to make this possible for us, like, it's amazing. And so uh, the day that we had to go testify, it was a, a lot of us uh, going and it was very terrifying. Everybody was so scared. Uh, I could just feel the the kind of like the tension in the uh, in the room. And um, while I was testifying, I almost cried. And I always pride myself in not being a crybaby. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not a crybaby. But it was just such an emotional thing where, uh, like Carla said, it was like almost putting a target on our backs. And and that's what terrified me the most. And so um, right after I got done testifying, I remember running into the other room and Carla and Miriam greeted me with a hug and they're like, you did so great. And I'm like, thank you. And I almost wanted to push them out the way. I was like, I want my mom. And so I went and hugged my mom and I was crying. We were both crying. She's like, it's okay. You did great. You did great. Like it's over. And so it, it was very emotional, but um, I pretty much cried every time we had a meeting, every time it got voted on. I, I just cried a whole bunch that whole month. I'm like, I guess I am a crybaby after all, but um, I'm very happy with the outcome. And had you ever considered moving to another state where it was already a possibility for you to get that license, that teaching license as a DACA student, instead of going through all of you know this emotion and, and extra work? Had you ever considered that? Uh, no, not really, because I don't think that I was aware that um, that this wasn't a thing in other states, and we don't have family uh, anywhere else, I think in Texas, but I, I've never met them before, and so I'm like, I'll, I'll be out there by myself, and then the traffic in Texas is terrifying, so I, it was just not an option for me. That's why it was either the Spanish uh, major to be an interpreter, and then just the minor in education, in education for just in case, you know. I'm really intrigued by your two choices, like specifically nursing and teaching, you know, those are very um, service oriented, you know, it's giving back to your community. Is that something that's just naturally a big part of who you are? So um, I was raised by a musician and a beautician. So I was, I grew up being around people all the time. And so my parents, uh, of course, in our, in our little community, we lived in a trailer park where we were all immigrants. And so it was always carpooling, helping each other out. If we don't have enough food, somebody invites us over. If we don't have heating in the winter, uh, somebody will let us borrow one of the little um, room heaters and stuff. So it was always helping each other out and seeing how 
uh, we can lend a hand to somebody else. So that's kind of where I got it from. And my dad was always seen kind of like the the chief in our in our little community. Everybody came to him for everything. And so that that's where I got it from. And also seeing like um, being little and having to translate once I learned the very little English that I knew, uh, having to translate for my parents. And sometimes I even got called out of class to translate for other parents. And so uh, that's kind of where it came from and uh, just wanting to help others in general. So for me, it was not seeing enough people that looked like me and who spoke my language uh, in the health field, I remember, you know, going to doctor's visits, I had to do the translating. There wasn't any interpreters, any other nurses or doctors who spoke Spanish. Uh, I remember like going to the doctor's office with my grandma, my grandpa, like literally anybody in my family who didn't speak English. And uh, growing up, you know, I wasn't, I mean, I was capable, but it like it shouldn't have been me, you know. Um, and then I didn't have any siblings until I was 12. So I knew that I wanted to like work with kids because I like never had little kids around me. So I was like, oh, like maybe I'll be an OBGYN. But then I was like, oh, I don't know if, if, if that's if that's what I necessarily want. So I landed on pediatrician and I was just like, uh, I don't feel like there's a lot of people who who look like us. And and I'm not saying this in a rude way, but, you know, Hispanic people are have have a lot of babies, have a lot of kids. And I feel like it's really difficult, you know, taking your kid to the doctor and having, you know, a, there's a problem, something's wrong with them and you can't fully express your concern as a parent or there's, you know, that language barrier. And I feel like nobody should ever have to, you know, leave the doctor with, with some doubts or some uncertainty. Um, and I remember I was having this conversation with one of uh, the ladies who, who works at my sister's school. And she was like, I never thought about it that way. She was like, it would break my heart uh, to know that I wasn't fully able to explain my frustration as a parent, or if I had a sick child and that the doctor couldn't understand me and I couldn't understand them. And I feel like it's having, you know, those intentional conversations with other people so they can like see, you know, maybe we might not be able to make them change their minds on, on immigrants or, you know, people who, who are Hispanic or Latino, but just like maybe, you know, giving them a little insight of, of how our life is, like even little things like going to the doctor um, will soften their heart up a bit. But I, I was just like wanting to serve others and wanting to help my community because one of the biggest issues is the language barrier. Um, and I know some of them were like, well, you've been here long enough learn English, but it's not that simple. It's really not that simple. And I just feel like we need to have as much representation in all the places we can so we can inspire the younger generations that they can they can see people in that field and they can also be that. Absolutely. Now that this barrier of licensure has been removed, you're able to plan a little bit more, a little bit further into the future. So what does that look like for you? You're both in school, but what are your what are your next steps? What are your next plans? Well, once COVID is over, <laughs> or once COVID, you know, calmed yeah. down a little bit, I would really like to get into the hospital so I can finish, you know, my, my trainings, because I don't think it's fair to graduate and just do all your trainings, you know, through a simulation on the computer. I really want that hands-on experience. But after that, I really want to continue the education. Like I said, the goal is to be a pedi pediatric oncologist, because I've 
just felt like, you know, growing up and watching those St. Jude commercials, I feel like I have a soft spot for people with cancer. I cut my hair again, donated it. This is my second time doing it. So uh, I really, I really feel and just feel like a really strong connection to people with cancer and specifically kids because it's cancer is a really just you know, you just hate it. And to think, you know, there's kids out there having to deal with it and it just breaks my heart. So I'm like, if I can be a little ray of light in the hospital with them, you know, as they're going through treatment, I would love to be able to work in that area. Uh, So continuing my education and working um, as a neonatal nurse, that's what I want to do. I want to work with kids. So once I graduate, I want to go and be a neonatal nurse and continue school because like I said, the goal is a pediatric oncologist. So for me, uh, I'm still not sure which grade level I want to teach. Um, I've had a couple chances over the summer to work with both elementary school kids and high school kids. And I think this semester I'll be working with middle school uh, kids. And so um, I'm thinking somewhere around like communications to teach students how to uh, give speeches, how to write essays, uh, how to do uh, code switching um, when it comes to speaking to your friends and speaking to a professional and things like that. But I'm also really interested in teaching all those subjects like in an elementary school class in Spanish. That way students can learn uh, Spanish from such a young age, this one, they're, when they start soaking everything in um, so that once they get older, they kind of already have that. And it, it'll even increase their chance uh, of getting a job since the Hispanic community is growing. And it'll also help the, the Hispanic students at least learn the basics in their uh, native language so that when they move on to a different class, even if it's not in Spanish, they at least still know that and they're not completely lost like I was. As we record this, DACA is once again, the future of it is in limbo with a um, federal judge in Texas in July saying it's unlawful, but President Joe Biden saying the Department of Justice will appeal the decision. So for right now, as Carla mentioned earlier, Um, current DACA recipients can still renew their status every two years, but they're not accepting new applications. So with this new barrier, how are you feeling again? Because it it does seem like you have a lot of push and pull um, and it feels like an emotional roller coaster with what you've dealt with over, you know, your involvement with the DACA program. I feel like I definitely have tougher skin than I did four or five years ago. Um, and really working with an organization like Arkansas United, I've learned a lot and I've uh, developed a new love for politics and advocacy. So right now I'm really excited about what's going on in DC. I know today there is a house vote on the reconciliation budget and it's looking really promising. Um, so I'm excited about that because now we don't have to wait, you know, to renew DACA, there could be a possibility that we can obtain a pathway to citizenship that with DACA we don't have. We just have, you know, two years at a time and then renew. And then the only way to become a citizen or have a pathway is through marriage or if somebody in your family petitions for you. Um, So I'm very hopeful about what's going on in DC just because um, that just gives me, you know, Uh, It opens up a lot of other things that I'll be able to do as a legal permanent resident 
and then eventually a citizen. I'm really excited about being able to go back home and seeing my grandmother who I haven't seen like 16 years now. Uh, so it's just, uh, I think there's a, a fire in me that's really burning to, to make stuff happen and, you know, go out like you know do actions get community involved get people involved literally have everyone rallying behind this and see if we can get a push up at the federal level uh, to make this a possibility not only for documented individuals but i know there's farm workers essential workers um so there's tps holders there's a whole bunch of other people that would be benefited by this which would make a tremendous impact to our community so i'm very hopeful about that you just hit a soft spot when you said about going to see your family. As soon as you said that, my eyes got watery. I'm like, oh my gosh, me too. But um, unfortunately, I haven't. Uh, my grandparents passed away a couple of years ago before I could see them again. But um, either way, with what's been happening with DACA, I'm still very hopeful that things will work out. Uh, ideally, it would be the best option not best option but like I would want to get my citizenship as well but um from the the work that Arkansas United has done with the nursing um license teaching license and then the other professional licensure I um I'm very hopeful that we'll be able to work through obstacles that come our way and uh, I I'm still just hoping for the best I feel like DACA recipients are some of the most resilient people I have ever met with, like you said, obstacle after obstacle after obstacle and still moving forward, still pursuing, you know, different ways. Where does your resilience come from? What inspires you to just keep going? For me, it's, it's definitely making my parents proud, showing them that they didn't risk their whole lives and leaving their family behind and bringing us here, that it, it was worth the, the risk, that um, we're definitely gonna make something happen. And just thinking that I can change people's lives uh, by even by just teaching them something, even if they just remember a little phrase that I said, it still sticks with them and they take it with them and they share it with other people. And, and just the thought of being able to make it easier for a student when it comes to them moving forward in their uh, educational career. That just, that makes me really happy to think of. Definitely, like Jennifer said, just making my parents proud. They sacrifice so much. Um, and then also I am the oldest out of all my other cousins. So I have six of them looking up to me and I feel like I have to be that role model and making sure that they can see, you know, that it's possible and really just, uh, I have one that's gonna be a senior and fortunately she is a US citizen. So I'm just like, you know, you have all these opportunities while I was growing up. I didn't have anybody who was like helping me navigate like the ACT. I remember telling my parents, oh, I have to take the ACT. All that they could help was with like paying for the ACT. But like, I didn't have anybody to talk to as I was doing my application process to colleges or I was navigating that world. So I'm just really happy that I'm able to help her. Um, and then my other cousins and making sure that they have someone to go to for advice. And if they have any questions, just because I navigated those uncharted waters, I don't want them to go through that. So I feel like I have a lot of people looking up to me and I, I have to make sure that I am somebody who, who they can definitely look up to and a role model just because I didn't have uh, obviously, my parents are great mo role models, but in regards to like education or pursuing a higher 
profession, I feel like I have to be that for my family. Uh, so it's sometimes overwhelming because I feel like there's like a big weight on my shoulder, but um, I'm just really happy that I'll be able to pave the way for uh, my younger cousins and my siblings. It is it is a big weight on, sh- on your shoulders. And I think a lot of DACA recipients feel that and can relate to that. What do you do to take care of you and to, to de-stress a little bit? Because it is a lot to be living with um, that stress and emotion all the time. For me, I, I make sure that I spend as much time as I can with my family, uh, even if it is getting together on Sunday mornings to eat menudo or something and just sit there and talk. Uh, just because for me, it's like, you never know what can happen. Like they could literally leave that Sunday and get pulled over and maybe get detained and we won't even know it for uh, two to three days. And so that that's just something that's always in the back of my mind and it's really scary. And I feel like a lot of people aren't even aware of that. They don't know that that's a thing. Um, even my youngest brother, he's actually my cousin, but we adopted him since he was born, but because we're not US citizens, we can't legally adopt him. So that's another thing that scares me, like what's going to happen to him if he's put into the system, like we don't have any other family here, I wouldn't want that to happen for him. But um, that's just something that I always think about and terrifies me. I think for me, it's just making sure I have alone time, like it can be really overwhelming um, and I still live with my parents. So I still have two younger siblings. Um, and sometimes, you know, they're amazing, but sometimes they just get a little too loud. So just taking some time from a, not a lot now with COVID, just because, you know, some things are still closed and I'm still not, you know, I don't feel comfortable going around too much, too many people. But before it was just going to get my nails done. I just, that was my me time, going to get my nails done and then going, looking around Target finding something cute to bring back to my room, but it's just making sure I take time for myself or just close the door and put some noise canceling headphones on and just, just like sleep and relax. Um, And mental health is really important. So if you need to take a break or you're feeling overwhelmed, please do. And I feel like now I'm really happy that mental health is being talked about more because back then, um, it wasn't talked about. And I still feel like there could be so much more. There has to be some conversations, especially in Hispanic and Mexican households. I feel like that's not talked about a lot. Um, Also depression or things like that. They'll just be like, oh, like, you know, stop. I guess parents aren't aware or even though they're aware, but I don't think that they were taught or to be able to acknowledge it. And it's okay to ask for help. Um, Therapy is also really good. I started talking to a therapist and I feel like that was uh, a really big milestone in accepting that you need to ask for help and you're not crazy if you go to a therapist you know it's it's good to have someone else who you can talk to and parents or friends are great for talking but sometimes you just need that extra help um, and it is okay and prioritize your mental health please especially as an immigrant I feel like we carry so much just weight and baggage that we definitely need Uh, to be able to let our our feelings out and really interpret what everything means uh, to continue our work and our school and just uh, our regular life. Absolutely. What are some ways that community members can help support DACA students? Showing up. (laughs) Whenever we have these events like Jennifer like the one that she organized uh, or whenever we have some information meetings or if we 
post something, some news, like just make sure to share it because you don't know who you have on your social media that might be able to benefit from the new information or these events or these opportunities. So always spreading the word, even if you're not directly impacted and just, yeah, show up and and support or just some encouraging messages. I feel like just something keep going or, you know, you got this. I feel like they're always really nice and really well received. Yeah, I totally agree uh, with uh, showing up and being there and sharing the information because like I've said already, a lot of people don't know about what's going on. And I was one of those uh, people, like I, I was not up to date with everything that was going on. And I feel like that was part of the problem. But now that I'm more aware and more uh, involved in my community, I still try to share as much as I can on Facebook about what's going on. And a lot of people still don't show up. And I guess they, I know uh, a lot of them work a lot, but oftentimes it's just that sometimes uh, some Hispanics and not to be offensive or anything, sometimes we're very worried about the, what what are people gonna say? What are they going to think? So they won't show up to events where they're giving out like backpacks or food or anything like that because they're like, people are going to think I'm poor. People are going to think I'm this. I'm like, we're doing it to help you. If you need it, come on, bring a friend. It's okay. As we end this conversation, do you have any other thoughts about DACA or the Hispanic community that you would like to share with our listeners today? Just be kind, Uh, especially to our Uh, English listening audience Um, if you come across someone who has a broken English or you know is trying like don't give them a hard time Um, we're not bad people I feel like we're one of the most like just really nice and we want to take everybody in Um, and we're all in the same boat trying to navigate life and trying to get you know, over this pandemic, we're just trying to work and provide for our families and provide for our community. Um, So I feel like, you know, if you have some misconceptions or you have some different opinions, I feel like it's really important to read and get yourself informed. I feel like this podcast was really insightful into what our our struggles have been um, and, you know, just be kind to to everyone. (laughs) Treat people with kindness. Yeah, I, I would say the same thing. Be kind and um, don't don't think about this kind of like, oh, this is our sob story. It, it's a way of you seeing like, this is what's happening to us. This is what have happened to us, but we're still fighting. We're still trying. We're still moving forward, trying our hardest so that people can see that we're really trying. We're not just asking for handouts. We're really working for it. And uh, I know a lot of people have the misconception of like, oh, they're coming here and still in our jobs and, and all this stuff. And it's like, we're working hard for it. How many, even with the last, um, the professional licensure, uh, there's so many DACA students that have gone to school, put in all the effort and and um, has have taken all the classes, but they couldn't get their professional licensure. So they couldn't work there or maybe they're working there, but paying, getting paid a lot less and they're not able to help out their families and stuff. So we just want the same things, but we're still working hard for them. Absolutely. Well, Carla and Jennifer, thank you so much for taking the time today to share your stories with us. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Really enjoyed this. So it's kind of like a, a really nice therapy session, kind of. <laughs> Just <laughs> it all out. 
Today's guests were Jennifer Carmona Garcia, a student at the University of Arkansas at Little Rock, and Carla Palma, a student at the University of Arkansas at Fort Smith. One quick follow-up on Carla's comments about federal legislation progressing in Washington. So on August 24th, the U.S. House of Representatives approved a $3.5 trillion budget resolution that includes funding to create a pathway to citizenship for a variety of people, including immigrant youth. However, it's just a resolution and it has a ways to go before possibly becoming law. So for now, just something to keep an eye on. If you've got your eye on a topic you'd like to hear discussed on this podcast, you can send your suggestions to explore at argotsoul.com. You can also reach out to us there if you're interested in becoming a sponsor of the show. We love making new friends, so hit us up so we can chat. And don't forget, you can listen to all of our podcast episodes at argotsoul.com slash affirmative action. You can also listen, subscribe, and rate us on Apple Podcasts. I'm Antoinette Grajeda. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back soon with a brand new episode, but until then, take care.